look at you. You all got quiet. What happened? There it is. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, we gather together every week to come and worship God and to be able to be together with other people who love and believe in God, honestly, as well as people who don't, uh, people who are on the search and, and wondering if there's a God. And we're here today to say, yes, he is. He is very much alive, very much real. And the people in this room are people that have been touched uh, by the presence and power of God in their life. When we get together, one of the things we do is sing, which may be outside of, you know, seventh inning stretch. You don't do that very often, but we get the chance to come together and sing some songs. And, and part of what that does for us right now, our minds and hearts have come from all kinds of places. You know, you're still thinking about what happened at work last Friday or what's going to happen at work tomorrow or school tomorrow. You're thinking about what happened this morning at your house or uh, where you're going to go eat after this. And Music has a way of bringing our minds and hearts into the room and saying, that's right, we're here today to worship God. So let's go ahead and stand up, and we're going to sing together. So, Lord God of heaven above, we accept your invitation today. We come into this room and um, we didn't necessarily get cleaned up before we showed up. We came the way we are. Knowing that when we come into your presence, you love us and accept us. And you change us. You take us where we are and you give us the opportunity to grow. We're thankful that you are a kind, loving, and good Heavenly Father who loves your kids so much you'd never turn them away. You just keep calling, come back home. Come home, come home. Right the way you are today, come home. Thank you, God, for loving us. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So we have a, a tradition around here. It's, it's not something that's in the Bible that you have to do. It's just a, a meaningful tradition, and that is uh, having families come and, and at the, normally at the time of having a, a child or, or maybe as their child is growing and doing a family dedication. And today, Brandon and Michelle Davis are coming, and they're going to be dedicating Noah uh, to Jesus. And we've got some pictures for you. Noah was one of these kids that decided to uh, come into this world earlier than he was uh, supposed to. So we got to get to know him a little bit earlier and uh, some sweet times together with mom and dad. But I got to be honest with you, my favorite picture of all time right here. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> he, he picked up something from dad. So <laughs> just an amazing, uh, beautiful picture. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about uh, this family. We moved to Joliet in 1995. I was uh, 32 years old, right? And Kim's three months older than me, so she was 32 as well. And uh, Brian was about to begin kindergarten. 
and he was going to be going to Thomas Jefferson Elementary. Now, Brian uh, did not do well with uh, leaving mom and dad, so he'd go to school and he would cry, which is a family tradition. I spent the first day of kindergarten under a desk, no exaggeration. So um, we get there, mom, Kim gets there with Brian, drops him off, and she comes home and makes two observations. One, she said, I think I'm the oldest mom in the school. And the other was, I met this lady named Carol. And she was so warm and so friendly and so kind and made us feel like we belonged. And uh, Carol had a little boy. And her little boy's name was Brandon. And Brian and Brandon became great friends, played baseball together, did all kinds of stuff together. He even put up with uh, Brian's ears with a patch on the eye and the whole works had a great time together as friends. So I got to tell you, there is just something really beautiful about sticking around a place long enough that you get to see your kids have their kids. And you get to see your kids uh, want to raise their children in a way that they get the chance to come to know and love God. I ask uh, families when they're going to do a dedication to choose a verse and Michelle basically sent me the Bible. So I, ha I had to narrow it down to one. She's like, all these would be great. And I'm reading through them, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking of Noah. I'm thinking of Noah in the Bible. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord were upon him. And, and this verse that she chose and Brandon chose from Psalm 32, 8 says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best path for your life. I will advise you, and I will watch over you. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God watched over him. Another, another translation says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God's eyes are always on this little boy. He is never, ever, ever outside of the attention of God. From the moment he was conceived to the moment he came into this earth a little earlier than was scheduled, God's eyes have been upon him, and they continue to be upon him and will be upon him. I'm uh, really thrilled that the two of you love God and that the two of you want to share that love for God with your child. And um, my goodness, what a lucky kid you are. You have no idea. You have a great mom and dad. Yeah, you're smiling at me. I know. You get it. You get it. You've met him. Yeah. Does this look familiar? Yeah. Come here, dude. Oh, yeah, we'll get you. I get I've been practicing with a puppy lately, so. Here, let's turn this up. Sorry. Don't look up. Dear Jesus, Father God in heaven above, Holy Spirit, we pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, Noah. That he'll make his face shine on you constantly. And that he'll give you peace. We know that peace will come when this little heart chooses to trust in Jesus as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. I pray that you'll do that early. That you'll give your heart to God. That you'll love God be growing up in a generation of people who don't love God. And I pray that you'll be strong. 
Just like Noah, your namesake in the Bible, nobody else followed, but he did. You keep following, okay? You got a really great mommy and daddy. Listen to them. They know what they're talking about, okay? You're a really great family, and they love you. Always know they love you. And there's a possibility you're going to do goofy stuff in your life, and you're going to mess up. They still love you. And God still loves you. He always wants you to come home. We love you, dude. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. I always want to keep them, but yeah, you better, you can take you better, you better take them back. He'd be a great prop. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Well, in case you don't know yet, my name is Dennis, and you're at Southfield, and you're in for a good morning. We are, we've been going through this little letter in the Bible named James. Down toward the, down toward the back end of the, the entire Bible, it's actually not a book, it's a letter. It's a letter that this man wrote to uh, people, Jews, who were scattered throughout the whole world. James was actually the half-brother of Jesus. And if you can imagine this, while Jesus was alive, James did not believe in what Jesus was doing. He thought James was kind of crazy, or he thought Jesus was kind of crazy. But when, when your brother dies, is buried, and rises again, you have a tendency to listen. And he did. And he came to be a devoted Christ follower and a leader in the local church in Jerusalem. He's one of the few followers of Jesus, leaders who, who was not an apostle that went out throughout the world declaring the gospel, but he, he stayed in one place. He stayed in Jerusalem, and he nurtured that church. And so as we've been looking at this letter, what we found is uh, we found a letter that comes from a pastor's heart. It's, it's, not like, it's not like a book of Paul where it's, a, where it's a, a lecture that you can just take the points and kind of turn it into a, a nice, easy sermon because the outline is already there. Uh, no, instead, it feels a little bit sometimes like the book of Proverbs where you'll have a topic and then you'll have another topic and another topic and he's just kind of, he's jumping around. But, but what he's helping us to do is to, to just live life on a daily basis to know what it means to live a life for God every day. And so we hear all kinds of different pieces of, of what it means to live a Christian life. While there does not seem to be a singular theme to the book, there really is. In chapter 2, James starts having this, this theoretical argument with a person, and he basically says to them, okay, so, so you have this theory. You have this theory that, that you have salvation. You have a relationship with God. But there's no evidence of it in your life. You, you live the total opposite of a life in God. And yet you claim to have saving faith. He says, here's, here's the way it works for me. I'm not even going to talk about my faith. I just want you to look at my life. And if you'll look at my life, you'll see what faith looks like. The theme of the book is really the answer to a question, what kind of faith saves? What kind of faith ultimately leads to a relationship with God, ultimately leads to heaven when we die? We've used a couple of uh, graphs in this that I think kind of help paint a picture for us. Most people 
naturally think faith works something like this. You go through your life accumulating the good things you've done. You just try to do good things. Every once in a while, you lose a point because you did something bad, you know, and you're kind of up and back. The, the bucket's filling. Oh, take five out because I did something wrong. I take a few more out. And, and you die, and, you, and, and there you are. You, the, the, the lights, finally, you can finally see, and there's St. Peter, and he's at the gate, and, and, and he's got a scale right behind him, and he says, give me your bucket, and he puts the bucket on the scale, and he's got to wait over here, and boom, you didn't, congratulations, you're in, or whoops, uh, sorry, do not pass go. You know, that, that's the theory that a lot of people have of the way salvation works, that they do good things, and it ultimately results in saving faith. James teaches just the opposite. He says, you know what the product is of your saving faith? The life you have. The good things, the good works, the things you do are the result of the faith you have. You don't do good things to get faith because you have saving faith. You live differently. You look different. And, and, you, and you grow. You grow. You're not perfect. Got news for you. We will never be perfect in this life. If you think you're perfect, you're lying to yourself. That's a sin. So I'm, we're not going to be perfect in this life. But here's what we do experience. We experience progress. There's a progression in our sanctification. There's a growth. And, and over time, you should be able to look back. You know, we have some of these repeated incidents in our lives. I don't know why, but, but God likes to flood our basement every once in a while. And through the years, I've found that I react better. Not because I'm better, but because Jesus has a little more hold of me than he did before. And so there's this, there's this progression of growth that takes place in our lives. So we've talked about all kinds of different faith uh, fruit that hangs from that tree of faith. What does it look like to have this, this saving faith? What does it look like in our lives? And today we're going to look at the fact that if we, if we have saving faith, we have a faith that prays hopefully. We pray. We talk to God. That's, that's, a piece of, that's a piece of having a relationship with God. We want to have a conversation with him. Uh, it, it's amazing that God actually implants in us the desire to talk to him. We find ourselves throughout the day just, just wanting to talk to God, whether it's a problem or something that's good. Uh, you, lately, I, I've literally been in the habit, you know, my phone gets lost a lot, things like that. And, and I come across and I just, I just say out loud, thank you, God of heaven. Thank you, God of heaven. Just to, just to have that moment of acknowledgement that God is an active part of my life. We have this desire for an ongoing conversation in our life. Yesterday, we uh, gathered as a, as a Fry Indelkoffer family to say goodbye, uh, finally, to uh, Kim's mom. And to have that day of remembering, remembering the life that we shared with her. Every one of our family members loved communicating with their mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, great-grandpa, whatever the relationship was. They loved communicating with them. They loved that opportunity of being with them, of talking to them. But, but here's, what's, here's what's interesting. We all had different ways of communicating. Some of the family loved showing up at the house and, and having that face-to-face -face conversation. Some, including me, we're a little bit more on the texting side. 
especially when a wren showed up in the backyard. I'd be like, there's another one, just showed up. But whatever it was, we all had a different way of communicating with these family members that we love. We all have different ways of communicating with God. I think sometimes we get a little frustrated when it comes to prayer because we try to fit into the box of the way someone else prays. You know, we'll hear these stories of great people of faith who prayed four hours a day. And immediately you just kind of give up. I'm like, (laughs) I I could never pray four hours a day. That's it, I'm done. You think about the relationships you have in your life. You have different ways of communicating with different people. And a lot of it's based on your personality. And God will, God will call you to communicate with him in a way that might be different than someone else. But, but here's the thing. Because you have saving faith, the desire to talk to him is there. The desire to have that conversation is embedded in us. We want to talk to God. And so you look at your own life and you might say, I don't pray as much as I'd like to or as much as I should. I think we're all there, right? There are things that we would all love to do more. I'd love to exercise more. I'd love to eat less. All that kind of stuff. But, but when it comes down to it, the desire is there. The desire to talk to God is there. And so James starts talking about prayer. In James chapter 5, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Just go ahead and talk to God. If you're suffering, pray. Now, now, what does the word suffering mean there? there? There are all kinds of all different levels of suffering. He's mentioned a lot of different uh, situations in this letter that led to people suffering. They were being abused by, by people who were in charge of them. There were a lot of different things going on. But he says there are going to be seasons in your life. Not every season is summer. You're going to have seasons that are hard. You're going to have seasons that, 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 that weigh you down. And he says, in those seasons of suffering, talk to God about it. Now, going all the way back to the first chapter, he he talked a little bit about suffering, right? He said, count it joy, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's suffering. Count it joy when suffering comes your way, not not because you're sadistic and you just love pain. Count it joy because you know that that testing of your faith produces perseverance it produces steadfastness it grows you and when it is in full effect you can be perfect and complete that word really should be translated mature complete not lacking in anything so he says we're going to go through suffering in life i think one of the one of the dreadful things out there right now in some christian circles is to give the impression that that if you live a good life in god you will never have problems It's just an absolute lie. It's not the truth. In fact, I would contend you might have more. (laughs) You might have more struggles than most. You will go through suffering. And so what does he say? Right from the opening of the book, he says, now, if you're going through suffering and you don't know why, you don't understand it, it's confusing to you, He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without fault and it will be given to him. Here's what James says. A lot of times we're going through suffering. Our prayer is pretty simple. God, take it away. I don't want this. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. Take it out of my life. And what James is saying instead is part of our prayer should be, God, would you help me to understand how this is growing me? 
Would you help me to understand how this is making me better? Would you help me to see how this is part of your plan for making me mature and complete, not lacking in anything? Because seasons of suffering are confusing seasons. They're just confusing. And I think the enemy starts whispering to us in confusing seasons, and he says, well, you must have done something wrong. That, that's why you're going through this. Or, or God doesn't love you as much as your friend. Look at the easy time they're having. He says, talk to God about it and ask, God, why? Why is this happening? What is, it, what is it you hope to grow in me? How can I cooperate with what you're doing in me so that I can actually realize the growth you desire? It's a little bit different way to pray when you're suffering than just, God, please take it away. Or, God, why me? But instead to say, God, help me to understand. Give me the wisdom to know how this is going to make me more like Jesus. If any of you is suffering, let him pray. Now, he goes the opposite of it as well. He says, if any of you are cheerful, let him sing praise. And, you know, that word there, praise, is actually, it's actually the Greek word for psalms. He says, let him shout out a psalm. Let him go ahead and just sing some songs. I don't know, I don't know if you're a singer when you're happy. You know, some people sing and they sound good. My dad was one of these people. He just kind of he just kind of sing along the way. He'd make up songs and whatever. They weren't particularly great, but you knew that he was happy. You could hear joy in him when he just start to, it would start to come out of him. Uh, he says, if if anyone is cheerful, doesn't necessarily mean that everything in life is going great, but but there's a lightness of perspective in you right now. There's, there's kind of that, you wake up and you go, good day. It's a good day. He says, we should sing a song of praise. You know, you know what he's basically saying? Tell God when you're happy too. Some of us only turn to God when, when life's a bummer, right? It's only, it's only when we're down. It's only when we have a problem. And we kind of forget to come during the good season and say, God, I'm loving this. I am just loving this. Thank you so much. So he says, you know, you got this conversation going on with God. Not necessarily a, a formal 20 minutes when I'm coming and talking specifically, but literally throughout the day that I'm just along the way noticing things and saying, God, thank you. Thank you. Those moments of cheerfulness, you're acknowledging where that's coming from. You're acknowledging the God who James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. We're saying, God, thank you once again for the blessing that you sent my way. <clears throat> now the third one. If anyone among you is sick, and then, and then you start reading. Let me just read it, okay, so you can hear. If anyone among, is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And he closes that part by saying, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It is powerful and effective. This passage, it's, it's a fun passage in that we don't completely understand the full context behind it. It seems like James is talking about a pretty specific situation that was going on in the church, and, and, and we're trying to understand what, what exactly he's talking about. So he says, if anyone is sick, let him call the elders of the church. See, you're thinking when you're sick, you should call your doctor and Walgreens, 
And, and he's saying, no, you should, you should be calling the elders. And you're like, oh, my word. So every time I've got a cold, I should be calling, you know, Bob Coyne to come over and pray over my cold. Um, I think there's something a little more going on here. He says, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now, two things going on here that, that we believe. Number one, the fact that you're calling them to come to you means that you're probably at a level of sickness that you're immobile. All right. In other words, this is this is this is a serious sickness. It might be a sickness that is terminal, or it might be one that is just it is really it's got you to the point that you just plain you. It's it's a difficult difficult sickness. But the other thing it says, let him pray over him. What they did here in Greek, they took the word prayer, and they put the word epi in front of it. The 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 little. Uh, preposition epi in front of it. It's the only time you see this in the Old Testament that that's put there. And it literally means to pray over. In other words, it might be the idea that this person is actually laying down and we're coming and praying over them. They're not able to get up. And they need a very serious level of prayer. So he says, let them call the elders of the church. There's even some debate over what the elders are. Is it officials of the church or is it just some of the older godly people of the church that have walked a life of faith and you're calling and saying, I need you to come pray with me, pray over me. It says, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, what's going on with the oil? We know physically, for example, when the good Samaritan came across the man on the side of the road and he had wounds, he bound his wounds and anointed them with oil and wine. So there was a specific medicinal purpose behind it. But oil is also a representation of the Holy Spirit. Is it, is it a way of saying, well, you know, Holy Spirit, healing is needed here. Healing is required here. So you're calling on other people. And that's, I think, the piece we want to hear here. That it's not just that I'm praying for myself when I'm suffering. I'm not just praying for myself when I'm cheerful but I'm actually in a relationship with other people that when I'm going through a season of difficulty, I can turn to them and say, would you pray with me and for me? I need you to pray with me and for me. I'm going through a difficult time. My faith is struggling. I need you to pray with me and for me. He says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So one of the other ideas behind this is that it's quite possible that the reason this person is suffering illness is because of a sin that they committed. And we see in the Bible that, for example, when Paul's talking about the Lord's table, he says, some of us have eaten unworthily, and that's why some are sick and some sleep, or in other words, some are dead. So there are times that a sickness can be the result of, of our direct wrongdoing. But here's where we would go wrong. If we believe every time we're sick, it's because of our own wrongdoing. The fact is, we just live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And we've been impacted by the brokenness of this world. And so we require prayer. But, but we see something really beautiful, spiritual going on here. That this was not just about asking for healing of one's body. But it was actually about healing of one's soul and spirit as well. Then he goes into this part where he says... Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. That there's something beautifully cathartic spiritually. 
when we're praying for each other, and when we're talking about the reality of what's going on in our lives. This is, this is a piece of what I love about Southfield. There's a level of authenticity around here that people are able to talk about what's really going on in their lives. Not just, hi, how you doing? Have a great day. Uh, I'm good. I'm okay. But that we actually have a relationship that is connected well enough that we're able to say, you know what, I'm not okay. And here's what's going on in my life. And I need you to pray with me. So this, this prayer, this prayer is evidence of the saving faith we have. We have a desire to talk to God when we're suffering. We have a desire to talk to God when we're cheerful. We have a desire to have other people talk to God on our behalf. We have a couple of great opportunities around here for people to talk to God on your behalf. I I pulled down one of these today. So as you're leaving this room, you go out that door, you notice off to the side, there's, there's there's a trellis there. And there are cards hanging there. And you can take one of these cards and you can, you can write your prayer request on there. And people come by and pray over those. I'll just, I'll just walk through every once in a while, read them and pray as I'm going. And as I was talking to Diane this morning, she said, you know, I, I don't throw these away. I actually take them and they're, they're in a container at the house and continue to pray over those, over those situations. So you have the opportunity to be prayed for by other people in the church or, or even at the end of the service, there will be a person standing here at the table and they're more than glad to pray with you. Beyond that, please, anytime you need someone to pray for you, just say it. Would you pray with me? And you know, the first couple of times you might like, wow, this feels a little different, you know? I've never in my life had somebody just stop on the spot and say, pray with me right now. But that's what it means to be part of a spiritual family. We believe God is our father and that he wants to have conversation with us and we can have that conversation for each other in the presence of our father God. He goes on after this to talk about, he says, he says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And I like the way they say it. Another, another translation says, Elijah was a man just like us. Sometimes we look at Old Testament prophets, we look at, we look at characters in the Bible and we think they were, they were hyper-spiritual. You know, they all walked around with a little halo. And I, don't need, I can't even find my halo. You know? So they're, they're all just, they're all super saints. They're all all at a level that we can't imagine being at. So, of course, when when Elijah prayed, his prayers worked because he's closer to God. But I'm I'm just a spiritual peon down here. No, no. James says, Elijah was a guy just like you. He was a person just like you. In nature, just like you. And what does it say? He prayed fervently that might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah's prayers were effective, and your prayers can be effective as well. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, here's one of the things I think we miss when it comes to prayer. We think we pray because we want answers. You know, I, I go to McDonald's, I give them money. Why? I want food. I go to my knees and I pray. Why? God, I got some things I want. Give me. Is it not possible 
that the reason God has you praying to him is because he wants you to get to know him. It'd be kind of strange to stop at the McDonald's drive-in window and say, do you mind if I just hang out with you for a little bit? You know, how you doing? Cold in there? Whatever, you know. No, we, we move on. It's a transaction. Prayer isn't a transaction. Prayer is a relational conversation. And through it, we're getting the opportunity to get to know our God. And so when the suffering doesn't go away right away, when the pain doesn't leave right away, you know what that leads to? It leads to an opportunity for an ongoing conversation with God. We had an incredibly unusual memorial service yesterday in that it was not a service at all. We gathered like we were in a living room, about 30-some of us all, all gathered in chairs, and we told stories about Grandma. We just talked about her. Anybody could talk. Said you can, If you need to, just say one word. Some people don't like to talk. But there are a lot of pastors in this family, so a lot of them like to talk a lot. And go ahead and talk. And the first person talked, and then the second person talked, third and fourth, and every one of them brought up the same thing. Grandma prayed for us. We knew she prayed for us. She, when, I was, when I was a new pastor, right after my ordination, I made a comment in my ordination that I needed to be oiled in prayer. For a year, she would handwrite a prayer and send it by mail to me. She prayed for us. She prayed for us all the time. One of the last spiritual conversations I had with her about what was going on in her spiritual life, she said, I believe I'm here for the purpose of praying for people. And right now, this disease has got my head so muddled, I can't even concentrate. Can't think. Why am I here anymore? If I can't pray, I have no reason to be here. I said, what if you do this? What if you just, you know the person that you believe needs prayer. What if you prayed a wordless prayer? What if you just came with that person in your mind, that person in your hand, so to speak, and you said, God, I'm here today on behalf of Nate. Your son is already praying for him. Your spirit is already praying for him. And I just agree with the prayer you're praying. What a beautiful prayer of submission. Not to say, God, here's the agenda I have for my child's life. Or here's what I want you to see, to do, see you do today. But to simply say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. An ultimate prayer of submission. The kind of faith that saves is a faith that prays and don't miss the last part, hopefully. Hopefully. And, and can I say this? Not necessarily hopeful for the answer, but having that broader hope that you're talking to the God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and knows what's going on in your life, that there's, that there's true hope, that when you look around at this world and it just looks like a blasted mess, you say, he's still in control. He's still the God of the universe. And so, there, and so there's a level of hope in our prayer, not a simple despair, but a hope in our prayer that says, not I'm hopeful for the answer, but I'm hopeful in you. I believe in you. I trust you. And even if everything seems to be a chaotic mess, I will not stop trusting you. It's a hopeful prayer like Job in the Old Testament who said, even if he chooses to kill me, I'll trust in him. 
That's the kind of prayer that a saving faith prays. A prayer that says, I believe you, I trust you, and I love you. Oh, Father God in heaven, I pray that you would well up in us the desire for continual conversation with you. To just want to talk to you. When we are suffering, when we are cheerful, when we are sick, whatever is going on in our lives, and there would be a hopefulness in our prayer, not just hoping to get an answer, but a hope that because we're talking to you, we'll get to know you better. We'll understand your ways and your will better. And that we'll be able to submit to you and, and pray that prayer with honesty. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That we'll be willing to surrender to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to move to communion, and we, we, we get up and walk to communion. So we have two tables at the front, two at the back, and here on the sides of the stage we have uh, gluten-free wafers as well. And as we move into this time, we've been talking about prayer. I just thought it'd be good to spend a couple minutes letting you talk to God in your head and heart, okay? Not, not everybody out loud all at once. And, um, but to just... If we've already talked about having a conversation about, with him, why not just have a conversation with him right now? So I'm going to be quiet. You can bow your head. You can look up. You can do whatever you do to approach God. But whatever is on your heart right now, talk to him about it. It's possible that you've never talked to God before. So you start with, hi, God, and just let him know what's in you. He already knows but he loves to hear it, just like a good parent. A lot of times as parents, we know exactly what our kids want, but we want to hear from them. So go ahead in the silence and have a conversation with God, and the music will start, and we'll head to communion. Father in heaven, we fall into your wide open arms. Thank you that you get, give us the chance to talk to you and that you listen, that you care, you love us. Help us this week as we have those conversations with you to know, to know that you are there and to know that you really do love us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our servers are going to come and receive the offering. Since we've been talking about your childhood, it's kind of fun I would think back to the the late 90s, they used to do this pastor appreciation month in October, and Bob and Carol Morris were part of our church at that, at that time, and, and they were inspired to uh, take you and me to uh, an Illini football game when you were, I don't know, seven or eight, something right. like that. And I still remember you coming away from that game and like, I'm going to school here. I love this place. This is it. I mean, the kid declared at eight years old. I picked and up an acorn off the ground at that first game, and I was like, I'm, you know, this acorn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant a tree here when I go to school here. It was so, it was so cool. You were so determined, and you ended up there. And one of our great traditions together has been watching just an absolutely pathetic football team. Like the worst. I mean, we, we've had a couple good games. That Michigan game on Halloween, Halloween that yeah. was amazing yeah. when they beat them and everybody was like, what just happened? But then they went back to their normal selves. 
So suddenly we have stacked four wins in a row. I'm telling you, this is an there utter is impossible. one orange and blue team in this state that can win ball games, and I love that it's my line. I love it. All right, it's just it's just nuts. It's nuts. That's really beautiful. It's this wow. is atrocious, isn't it? You make Riley wear that around the house, don't you? <laughs> uh, we've got we got some fun coming this Saturday, I believe already. Got a family fun night, isn't that this Saturday? No, or is it next? no, that's, am I messed up? Right. Is it next this Saturday, Saturday right? Cow. It's is it the this middle Saturday? of November? Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah. It's crazy. This Saturday is our sports family fun night, which <clears throat> is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, make sure you let us know that you're coming to that. Um, we have We some... like you to register again. Yeah. It, there's no there's no charge involved or anything, but just so that we know that you're going to be there and, and we can plan for that. So, you right. go you can make on those... the website, you can hit it on the links, boom, go and Get signed up. You can make invites throughout the week, mm. and you know if you have somebody show up with you on that day, neighbors, whoever, uh, that's mm-hmm. totally cool. Yeah. But we just we'd like to know how many that we uh, have coming. And it's uh, and it's scheduled for a few hours, so it's yeah. literally a come when you can, leave when you have yeah. to, and just come out, hang out. A lot out, of different fun games people. planned. So, so yeah, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's good. You've got some fun happening tonight. Yeah, tonight, uh, if you go down to the gym, if you're one of the big kids' parents, you can check out. We've already got some set design going because we have a mystery dinner going on here tonight with our high schoolers from 5 to 8. So our normal night, 6 to 8. So if you show up at 6, you're going to be an hour late, okay? 5 to 8 p.m., I'll send out a reminder here after the service just so everybody has it. Uh, but yeah, the theme is once upon it's once upon a murder because it's a murder mystery dinner, uh, which is always a good thing to do, you know, here at church. But right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're Great. gonna have a, <laughs> we're gonna have a lot Youth of fun. Pastors are yeah. the best. Yes, they are. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're gonna have a lot of fun tonight. It, it's it's themed with all kinds of like Disney characters and fairy princesses, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's All right. Be a lot of fun. So you're going to make murder seem like something that's good. So yeah. I guess I should say yeah, yeah. murder, bad. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> Got that qualifier yeah. out there. Very good. Anything else? Not for me. All right. Good deal. We are going to sing as we close. Go ahead and stand with us. <clears throat> So Kim's dad was, he was the head of the Illinois High School uh, Association. And this time of the year, we'd get to go to the football games down in Champaign. And uh, we got to be in places that we should never have been. The chancellor's suite, eating food that, it was cool, doing all this stuff. Getting to go down on the sidelines and stand there. And uh, Kim's brother was a little guy at that point. And he'd walk into one of these rooms or he'd go down on the sidelines and someone would stop him saying, kid, what are you doing here? And he had this tag hanging around his neck and he pointed at his dad and he'd say, I'm with him. He wasn't there because he had the right to be there on his own. He was there because his dad was in charge of it and his dad could say, I'm putting this around your neck and you're allowed to go anywhere you want. This week when you walk into the presence of God to pray, in a sense you're not there because you have the right to just go bounding into the presence of God. You come into the presence of God and when Satan says, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You point to Jesus and you say, I'm with him. 
I'm with him. I have the right to be here. I'm a child of God because of what Jesus did. He broke down the strongholds so that I can be standing here right now talking to God. That's what he wants for you. If you don't have a relationship with God, it's time to get one. You have the right to be called a child of God by trusting in Jesus. Please do not let more of your life pass by before you do that. What a tremendous privilege to be able to stand in a place you're not supposed to be standing and say, I'm not here because of me. I'm here because of him. So as you leave today, remember, there are people up here that are glad to pray with you. Write your prayer out there. Don't go through your suffering alone. Other people want to carry this with you. And Jesus wants to carry you all the way. We'll see you. Have a great week. Strong.